Good morning. What an honestly, thank you for that thought. I for one really appreciate your ministry. Bless them. <clears throat> now, it seems so long, it seems so long since I've been up here. Right, let's have a look now then. Right. Right. If you're anything like me, then you would like to reminisce about the past. I think it's just down with you. Right? People, places, events. The many experiences I've had and the exploits, some good, some bad, of my youth. I also like to ponder on how times have changed and how society had progressed. Again, sometimes for good, sometimes for evil. One thing I particularly like to think about are the good times of my childhood. Days spent up the mountain, damming streams, building dens, picking wimbleys, chasing the girls. <laughs> However, one thing stands out in my mind above all the rest, and that is the countless hours my best mate Paul Godfrey and myself spent skimming stones across the river underneath the Black Bridge. Now, what you've got to take into consideration that I originally come from a big city of Nottingham and stone skimming was completely new to me. Paul was an expert. And he taught me, let's see if I can find my little stone in here, on that. Right, he taught me how to curve my finger around the stone and with a flat stone and with a certain flick of the wrist send it skimming and bouncing across the surface of the water. Now Paul's record was 10 bounces across the water while mine was a measly 7. <laughs> and I never was able to beat his record. Now this got me thinking about stones and how they have significance in our lives. Now I'm sure that some of us have also had catapults in our time and used them to shoot stones at tin can targets. I don't know why I did. Now I've got some stones here, as you can see. We've got a round one. Got a stone with some crystal on. Which is very pretty. I think it's amethyst. So it's very pretty. Square stone. And I've got a little round one. Now, this is perfect for skimming this day. This will be perfect. Skin across the river. So, as you can see, we've got different stones of different shapes and sizes, which is a bit like us, don't know. Right? Some of us, well, are cosmetically challenged. And some of us are very pretty. <laughs> but we're all made in God's image, therefore we are fearfully and wonderfully made. In ancient myth and legend, Medusa was once a very beautiful woman who was cursed by the goddess Aphrodite 
a magnet extremely ugly, with snakes instead of hair. Any mortals that looked upon her were instantly turned to stone. Then we have the legend of the sword in the stone. The land of England was torn by civil war and nobody could decide who was the rightful king of England until the supposedly wizard Merlin placed a sword Excalibur into a stone supposedly by magic and whoever could pull that sword from the stone would become the rightful king of England. Men from near and far tried in vain to free the sword from the stone until a young youth named Arthur succeeded and was crowned king and ruled at Camelot with the Knights of the Round Table. Now one of the most recent famous books written is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone by J.K. Rowling. Her series of books about the boy wizard have made her a multi-millionaire. And guess what? I had a first edition and didn't realise it. I started reading it and was told by a couple of Christians that I shouldn't be reading it. So feeling guilty, I put it in a cardboard box in my attic, in the, the house I used to live in. A long, long time after, I was cleaning out the, the attic and found a book all mouldy and speckled with black. So I threw it out, only to discover afterwards that it had been a first edition. I was gutted, to say the least. If only I hadn't listened to some super spiritual Christian, I would be a very wealthy man now. Now, years ago, in this country and in parts around the world, if you wanted to get from one village to another, there would be a milestone. And stay right, you know, uh, little Barton over there, four miles. Some sort, six miles. And I remember once, when I was um, staying near Ross on Wild, we were going to a, um, a fete. And we bought a dress for this fete, and I forget the name of the place now, but for instance, say Little Barton, and it said four miles, well I'm not kidding, right? We were in my niece's car, we were there, for so long, going down all these lanes, it was the longest four miles I've ever known in my life. Right? And when we got there, it was just one of the streets, and we could see these kids playing in the street, and we said, down, where did it? Oh, in the manor house, just down the lane there. Oh, fabulous manor house, fabulous faith. But it took us long enough to get there. Now, in Ireland, they have the famous Blarney Stone. It is said that if someone kisses it, they're given the gift of the gab. I, for one, certainly don't need to do that. <laughs> Pop hoops are named after stones, with the rolling stones and the stone roses. Also, poplar proverbs say, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but names will never harm me. How untrue that is. Also, a rolling stone will gather no moss. And people in class nowadays shouldn't throw stones. Probably there are many more. 
The Bible has got a lot to say about stones. And this morning we are going to look at seven of them. The first one is the stone of remembrance. Joshua chapter 4 verse 1 to 7 tells us this. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan River. Each one of you is to take up one stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean now? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Just as God departed the waters of the Red Sea for the Israelites to pass through on dry ground, so the Lord did the same for them with the waters of the river Jordan. But notice one thing. God didn't ask for stone to be taken from the edge of the river, but to be taken from the middle where the Ark of the Covenant had been. The Ark symbolises his presence among them. Therefore, the stones that were taken from the middle of the river were consecrated by his holy presence. Whereas, stones that would have been taken from the edge of the river would have been tainted by the sins of the people. How often do we ask things as memorials of places, events, or people? If we go on holiday, we might send a postcard, or we might buy a memento of the place that we stayed in. Now, many years ago, I went to Minehead, right, I went for the conference, the AOG conference, and I went to Dunstan, now I loved Dunstan, and there was little tea shops and everything, and I had it for years, I bought a little cat, a little china cat, in a little wicker basket, and I called that cat Dunstan, right, and I had that on, but for years I don't know what happened to it, but it was a memorial of my trip to Minehead. If we go to the theatre to see a show, we might keep the programme as a memento of a favourite show that we saw. Also, if we go into someone's home, we will see photographs of people, family and friends, mementos of good times scattered about the shelves. Cemeteries are also filled with tombstones, memorials of people we have loved and lost and still may grieve for. I suppose we are not unlike the children of Israel, are we? Number two, the stone of victory. In 1 Samuel chapter 17 verse 1 to 11 we read, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at 
in Judah. The pitched camp at Ephedamim. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Between Sapphire and Asakar. Stalling the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. So you had the Philistine battle line, you had the Israelite battle line. The Philistines occupied one hill, while the Israelites another, with a valley between them. Now, the Israelites had a secret weapon. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath. He came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. Right? He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his leg, legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back and his spear cast was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up the battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servant of Saul? Choose a man and have him come to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill you, you will uh, kill him and you will become our subject and stir up. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, as we know from the time of Samson, the Philistines, they were ruthless and a constant thorn in the Israelites' side. And now, they are a triumph on their side. No wonder Saul and the Israelites were terrified. But you know, Goliath sealed his own fate by verbally defying the ranks of Israel. After all, these were God's chosen people. His anointed and nobody touches God's anointed. God will not be mocked. And Goliath's death was imminent from the moment he spoke these words. Verse 40 to 51 tells us then he, David, took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in a pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ready and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. Come here, he said, and I will give you a flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down, and cut off your head. 
Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out the stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David brought God into the equation, but it was he who Goliath was really defying. God will not have the enemy to touch his chosen and his anointed, and with a stone of victory, the giant was killed. However, he was a dead man walking the moment he chose to defy God and his chosen people. Number three, the stone of temptation. Matthew chapter 4, verse 24 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you stand of God, Tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The enemy always attacks or tempts us when we are at our most vulnerable. When we are tired, hungry, ill, lonely, whatever the circumstance, he kicks a dog when it is down. But Jesus came back with God's word and we must tour. I cannot stress enough how important it is to get immersed in God's word. For it is our ammunition. And when the enemy attacked and tempted us, Jesus was tempted like us in every way, yet was without sin. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. As Christians, we are not immune to temptation. And as Jesus discarded the enemy's stone of temptation with the word of God, so must we. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intent of the heart. The fourth one we are going to uh, talk about is the stone of provision. Matthew 7, verse 7-11 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So everyone who asks receives. 
Hugh seeks fine, and to him he knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if you stand next the bread, will give him a stone? <coughs> or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now let's get one thing right, dear folks. We are children of the King, all of us, right? We are heirs with glorious inheritance. Our God is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Very often we do not receive because we do not ask. He had promised to meet not some, but all our needs, according to his glorious victory in Christ Jesus. He has not given us the stone of poverty. What do we need this morning? Do we need a job? Healing? Money to pay the bill? A house? A partner? Whatever it is, he is more than able to provide. And what's more, he's even promised to give us some of our wants as well, which is an added bonus. Right? <laughs> However, it must be in accordance to his will. But we must delight ourselves in him too. And also realise that we have to be patient and to know that he will answer in his time and in his way. But be sure not to give up. Keep praying, keep asking, keep believing. And hold God to his promises because he loves perseverance. The stone of accusation. John 8 verse 2 to 11 tells us, At dawn, he, Jesus, appeared at the temple court, where all the people gathered around him, and he began to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question to trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman. Still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked woman, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Wow. What love. What mercy and what compassion. I love this story. I would love to know what Jesus wrote on the ground. Was it hypocrite? <laughs> you brood of fight back. Or maybe it was a question. 
Where does the man was sustained? The teachers of the law and the Pharisees stood there with their stones of accusation and condemnation. But they were shamed and confounded by one simple statement. If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. They didn't have a leg to stand on, did they? And with this simple statement, Jesus demolished the covenant of law with its rules and regulations and commands and ushered in a new covenant of grace. Unmerited favour, love, forgiveness, mercy and a new start. This was what this woman was given and her life was probably never the same again. She was a recipient of God's grace and we are poor. God saw us in our ugliness of sin and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for every wrong thing we have ever done, thought or said. Hallelujah! We are forgiven, redeemed and set free. Bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. We are heaven bound, pilgrims of the Lamb. Saved from the guttermost to the uppermost. Children of the King. Heirs of a wonderful inheritance. Reconciled to God through the sacrifice of his only begotten Son. Filled with his spirit. His treasure. So that all the glory goes to him. He has a glorious future and a hope for each and every one of us. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. When the enemy comes to us with his stones of accusation, and he will, just remind him that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As far as the east is from the west, so far as God removed our sin from us. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. <laughs> the enemy's stone will fall to the ground like the Pharisees and teachers of the law. <clears throat> that woman went on her way, freed from her sin. How light her heart must have felt. She didn't have to live under the cloud of shame and condemnation anymore. And for the record, neither do we. Number six, the stone of new life. Three weeks ago, on Easter Sunday morning, we were given an account of events from Matthew 28 by Paul. I for one thought it was a brilliant message and have reflected much on it. Now Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb of Jesus and we, as, we, as we were told, a seal had been placed on the stone and Roman soldiers were placed on guard to prevent any disciples stealing Jesus' body and then claiming he had risen from the dead. What a waste of time. Proverbs 21 verse 30 says, There is no wisdom, no insight, no plan, that can succeed against the Lord. It also said in Proverbs, many are the plans of man, 
but it's the Lord's will that prevails. Amen. There was a violent earthquake and an angel came down from heaven and rolled a stone from the front of the tomb and sat on it. As if to say, now then, what do you think of that? <laughs> the guard was so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Oh dear, things didn't bode well for them, did they? But it was more than apparent for the tomb areas and the guard that the tomb was empty. Jesus had risen. Just like he had always said he would. The impossible became possible. And the poor Marys and the disciples' lives were never the same again because of it. They went from being defeated to being dynamic, from being fearful to being fearless, from being the minority to being the majority, from being puny to being powerful. That stone that the angel rolled away represented new life for the disciples because of the resurrection of Christ. And it represents new life for all who put their trust in him and all he has done for mankind. We too, all of us, can be dynamic for God. After all, we too have been called to be witnesses and representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world of sin. No greater stone could have stamped for the human race new life for all, available by trusting in Jesus. The living stones. Number 7. 1 Peter 2 verse 4 to 10 says, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a spiritual priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See I lay in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumbled because they disobeyed the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are saved and we are being built up into a spiritual house for God. So we've got young Matthew there, we've got Roger there, and we're placed together. Regardless of our colour, race, language and background, past faults, weaknesses, disabilities and frailties, each of us has a part to play in being a living stone. Mm. Our appearances, gifts, talent, everything that makes us each the person we are is being placed next to somebody else. United in being a strong structure in the spiritual house of God. Mm. 
<coughs> Maybe we might not be fine as we have a living stone replaced next foot. Well, we have to get on. We are to be united in plan and purpose and servanthood to God as part of his church. One stone is not no more important than the other. We are all equal and one in Christ Jesus. Only Jesus himself is important because he is the chief cornerstone. We may be placed somewhere in God's plan and structure where we don't want to be. But his will always prevails. And we are called to be obedient. Isn't it wonderful to be a living stone? I'm glad to be one. I mean, it might be, you know, small, insignificant little stone, but I'm glad to be one. We are privileged people. And our purpose is to bring glory to God who is more than deserving of it. So next time you see a stone in your garden or on the mountain or on a beach, remember that you are a living stone. And another thing, if you get a chance, meet me down by the black bridge <laughs> and we'll skin a stone together. We'll have a great time. Now I'm going to finish by reading a poem written by a friend of mine called Stones Build My Church Build My Church is to cry let it move across the land have a solid foundation built on rock but never stand Build My Church is God's cry come and join the throng my stand shall be the cornerstone so build it up so strong Build my church to the Father's cry, I will provide the resources. So join together in unity and to put to work the forces. Build my church is God's cry and be my living stones. Shaped and fashioned by my hands, it's me who works and hones. Build your church, the people cry, that get your purpose right, working to achieve the vision in the power of his might. Bricks and stones, they stand, they fall. But my church, it lasts forever. It's a church that's built with faith and love, holding it together. Amen. Amen. Amen.